Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the 39 articles of religion. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. It's about to be the third Sunday of Lent. What's been your Lenten discipline? Well, my Lenten discipline is to, I don't know if I want to share my Lenten discipline on the podcast, Ooh. to be honest. It feels a little bit like against the spirit of the season, but I- Everyone's um, going to think it sounded bad, but whatever. Yeah. I would say If it was that, chocolate, he would have said it, guys. Definitely not chocolate. Um, <laughs> the experience that I've had thus far in Lenten has actually been pretty good. This is the first year in- I think four years, three years. I mean, three years ago, the pandemic started. So Lent obviously got kind of thrown out the window. And then two years ago during Lent was when I was interviewing for jobs that would end up bringing me here to Raleigh. So I know I just wasn't really in that headspace. And then last year during Lent is when our daughter, Anna, was born and she was adopted. So we found out that she was going to be born two weeks before she was born. So like that completely overturned whatever I thought was going to do during Lent. So this is the first year in a while that I'm like, I'm kind of living a relatively normal, undisturbed life. And I can actually dig in a little bit to the season. And uh, I actually think it's been pretty good. It's hard. I don't know if you relate to this, but it's a struggle for me as a pastor to not equate my spiritual life with my work. And so there's a way in which you can just think if I'm doing a good job at my job, then I have been, I'm checking all of the spiritual boxes and those two things are pretty different, right? You can be a very successful quote unquote pastor and have pretty terrible life with God. And conversely, you can have a really, yeah. And you can have a really rich, wonderful life with God and struggle with like the demands of ministry stuff. So I don't know. I think it's been a good opportunity for me to distance myself a little bit from my work and not so much ask like, how am I doing professionally, but more like in a non- adversarial way assess like yeah where do i need to repent you know what what what's kind of gotten off track a little bit so i think it's been pretty good so far yeah yeah because he's crushing it at church of the apostles so he's not going to worry about the professional side but no. his spiritual life on the other hand friends. I'm, maybe i should say i'm trying to prioritize that a little bit more than i normally do um i was going to ask you i was going to say are you focusing more on like the mortality side of lent or the repentance side but it sounds like the latter yeah, there's this phrase uh, in the invitation to a Holy Lent that, you know, we read at the, on Ash Wednesday. Let me just try and read it because I have a prayer book out right in front of me. But it talks about the need to renew repentance and faith. And the idea that you need to like renew one's faith, like that makes, you know, tons of sense to me, obviously. But the idea that you would have to make new your need to rethink things or to turn from things like that's honestly not something I typically think about for better or for worse. <laughs> so I found it pretty helpful to like, and again, in a non-adversarial, non-judgmental way, just be like, okay, yeah, what do I need to repent of? Or what do I need to rethink about my life right now? And not 
yeah, not to beat myself up or whatever, but just to, yeah, ask that question. I'm not someone who really struggles with guilt or shame like ever. And so I can do that in a way that I think is pretty healthy, but for some people that's a lot more loaded and I understand that. But for me, who doesn't, don't really have a ton of like shame complexes. It's like probably good for me sometimes to be like, I need to repent of that. If you remember Ethan Magnus, the, our mutual pastor who got us into radical gospel, he used to say that the Christian life or the life of sanctification was one of repentance and faith day in and day out. So that doesn't stray too far away from yeah leaning into our belovedness. Yeah, no, it's 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 a little bit hard to lean into Lent here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent because it's the most wonderful time of the year. We have speakers from all over the U.S., all over the world for that matter. In fact, Simeon's all will be here next week. So we celebrate the speakers. We have great lunches. We have dinners for the speakers. So yeah, Lent here is much more so, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's very spiritual. People go to church six, seven days a week. It's it's pretty awesome, but it's a little bit, looks different than your classic Lenten, right. giving something up, taking some kind of discipline on. I mean, a lot yeah. of the, the people here are volunteers, they are taking something on. But yeah, maybe next year I'll get into that spirit. But I, I do think it is, it's appropriate to have the church calendar to remind us like, well, for this season, for these 40 days, we are going to look into the mirror and we are not going to turn so quickly from the warts and all that we so often pretend aren't there or just completely unaware of. Yeah, I mean, for all, I mean, I, again, I don't want to make any of this another law and you've made that clear. There is no <laughs> condemnation, but there is a helpful thing to kind of take stock, just like you might for your diet or your physical health. I, th I think it's even more than just for pastors. Sometimes especially when life's going all right, we tend to equate that with our spiritual lives. Mm. And then there are some times when I'll read a Fleming Rutledge sermon and find myself either convicted or or just, you know, kind of weepy because it's just like, oh, wow, like I forgot how good all this is. Yeah, for me, it's it's my tendency is not so much to turn away from the warts or like I can't stand the thought of my own imperfection, so I'm just going to ignore them. Honestly, for me, it's more like, I just make peace with a lot of my imperfections. <laughs> I just, I, I stare at them and I'm like, yeah, you know, we're all kind of messed up and yeah, I'm not that bad. Us <laughs> are finished products. And I'm not even like comparing myself to other people. Yeah, no, it's sure. like in the absence of truly destructive to other people types of besetting sins, it's like, yeah, you know, we're none of us are perfect. We all have stuff we can work on. I'm not going to stress out about that. But I think for me, Lent is a time to be like, yeah, I'm still not going to stress out about it or like, assume a performative sense of guilt, but I'm also going to be like, yeah, I could probably make some marginal gains in some of these areas of my life. You know, like I don't have to watch that much television every night. It's more stuff like that. You know, that's, that's how I'm thinking about the season this year. Is there anything that you like to read during Lent that our listeners would love to hear about? Well, there's a book that I've picked up again. I've read different sections of it over the years. It's it's pretty classic, like kind of evangelical spirituality stuff. It's nothing new, but it's called Wasting Time with God is the title. And it's, it's this guy that is uh, trained as a philosopher, but he taught at seminaries and stuff, but he just has a pretty sharp analytical mind. So even though he's trafficking in language and concepts that are very familiar to people who grew up in evangelical or evangelical adjacent worlds. He has an analytical precision that I find pretty helpful. And so it's basically how to develop a more 
emotionally, experientially satisfying relationship with God. Again, nothing new, but it's written in such a way that cuts through some of the syrupiness and imprecision that you often get in those types of practice heavy stuff. If you can read it in a way that doesn't induce like despair, I think it's actually very helpful, but not everyone can do that. So me, I'm just reading Rick Rubin's The Creative Act and loving it. Amen. Well, speaking of Hallelujah, let's talk about the resurrection and ascension. Let's talk about it. So this is article number four, if you're following along and not just listening to the unrelated parts of the podcast, and it is of the resurrection of Christ. It goes like this. Christ did truly rise again from death and took again his body with flesh, bones, and all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherewith he ascended into heaven and there sitteth until he returned to judge all men at the last day. Nick, resurrection or ascension, your pick. Well, let's go in the order of the article. So yeah, it starts with the resurrection and it says he truly rose from the dead. Cool. I think what is um, unique and economy of words, everything that's here is intended to be here, that it says his body with flesh, bones, and all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature. So Jesus rose as a human being with a body with flesh and bones. He rose as the fullness of his human nature was part of the creative act of resurrection, the new creation. Um, And I think that is the real meat of what the article is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the renewal of all things. And he is the first fruit of a different type of human being, much more than that, but now less than that. So I think that's that's probably the entry point into a conversation about how this yeah, what article, do you what do you think the uh, I mean, like the early church fathers and mothers put together the creed? what are they what are they combating against by writing mm. it this way? Well, I'm sure it has to do with the distaste of for materiality in the first century world, right? Like the idea that Jesus was more of a, a spirit phantom and that his resurrection was a shedding of the flesh rather than a kind of assumption and healing of his literal body. I mean, that's my assumption of why they were so stressing yeah. the bodily nature of the resurrection. Do you think do you think we in our own day, through some of our like contemporary Gnosticisms, like we need to stress this. Do you think there there are contemporary aversions to the body? I mean, I, I hear a lot of body positivity. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of aversion to the significance of our physical nature, but, but yeah, I, no, I was thinking more of like um, the way we deal with people who are dying and uh, not just that, but also just the way, maybe particularly for women's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. We want them to be something other than they're kind of naturally predisposed to become. Again, I'm not like saying, talking about obesity or whatever, but we, right, right. we want people to look unreal yeah at 45 i don't know i don't know if that's really helpful for folks. yeah i don't know how much that's i mean that to me is not so much like a hatred of the physical in and of itself but it like it's something about yeah i mean we were reading this book uh for our, our church our like linton book study is um a book called body of praise by um the reverend dr david taylor and it's basically trying to unearth the theological significance of worshiping with your body like the way that your physical body is involved in worship you know like think of all the language from the psalms clap your hands stand kneel like we worship not just with our minds or with our hearts but we quite literally worship 
with our bodies, what we do with our bodies. And um, we we're having a conversation amongst the staff about that, uh, our staff about that. And one thing I, I this is going to sound so obtuse and so male, and it is like, it, it, it's exactly what it is. But I, uh, I'm not someone who has like had a ton of discomfort or like unease with my body, right? Like, like staring at myself in the mirror and how my body works and looks is not something that I like think about all that much and has not really been a major source of struggle. But some of the folks that we, I work with were like very candid and very and like love, love, like very beautifully talking about how when you don't like your own body, it's really difficult to like other people's bodies sometimes, right? And I was thinking about, think I was thinking about the, the two great commandments and the second great commandment, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And like, yeah, if you don't love the body that God has given you because of the way it looks or whatever, the way it ceased to function, then it can be really hard to love other people's bodies too. I don't know. That was a really profound thought to me that I had, I'm so grateful for some of the folks who shared about that. But anyway, yeah, Jesus. Oh, all right. So second part, second yeah. question, maybe from the other angle. Do you ever think when you read language like this for this article, that really is trying to prop up the Christ who died, resurrected as one of us, all our flesh, all things appertaineth to our humanity. And yet, when we read some of the gospel accounts, we see his body appears to have changed. Right. He seems to be able to go through walls. I mean, maybe that's a, I don't, I don't want to do too much with that, but, and then he's, he's there one second, he's gone yeah. the next second. And this is before the ascension. Right. You ever think that language like this might overcorrect? Language like that's in the article? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think, no, I think, I think you can understand the resurrection as this is Oliver O'Donovan's language as a moment of recovery and of advance. So it's a moment of recovery in that we are, Jesus is the last Adam. He's recovering our true humanity and he is functioning as Adam was intended to function. So in that sense, it's a restoration of our humanity. Hmm. And that, and he would say that's like the, a very Western way of thinking about it, like Western theological tradition, like it's a salvation, it's a rescue, it's a restoring that which was lost. But then he would argue that like in the Eastern tradition, the resurrection is understood much more as an advance in that Jesus is not simply helping us recover what was lost. He's, he's moving the ball forward and that we're becoming more divine. We're living in a type of communion with God through his humanity than would have ever been possible with Adam. And I think yeah. some of the ways in which Jesus's physicality is not like our physicality. He's not just the best possible version of a human being. He is divine. And we're not divine in the same way that Jesus is divine, but our humanity partakes of the divine nature in a way that is more than quote unquote humanism, right? Yeah, which seems to be that it, folks in the East talk about when God creates the first humans, it's not as if, I mean, they're very good, as the scriptures say, but it's not as if Adam wasn't going to learn, Adam wasn't going to grow that it was some kind of static reality, much like, you know, critiques of heaven, right? If we're just in this kind of static reality, mm -hmm. then it's like that party that never ends that gets old after a while. But it seems that there, the plan for Adam was so that Adam would grow, that Adam would be united to God in some way, shape or form. And yeah, we, in the West, we don't talk about that that much, I think. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that's very speculative. So totally too hard on us, but right, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's very hard to connect to the idea that it's very it's it's easy 
it's easier for me to emotionally connect to imagining the best possible version of my body as it currently exists than an entirely new way for my body to function. Like I, by definition, have no access to that, but I do have access to like aches and pains and pulled muscles. So it's in, and, and finitude and the futility of our creation created order as it currently exists. So yeah. I think I, I I've, I've leaned a little bit more into in the last couple of years, the promise that there will be a day when, and I've said in this podcast way too many times when we don't sin anymore, when we don't go back to our own vomit, when we don't choose the toxic thing. And there will also be a day when we are kind of made better. I mean, <laughs> right. I think there is a joy to that, even though we don't oftentimes experience that in every yeah. day, but there's yeah. a hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the hope of the resurrection. I mean, in a very personal sense, that's what I think about much more than immortality or some kind of like glorification that creates a whole new state of being. I think much more about like being free from bondage to sin, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and positively, like what we can't even imagine that we're waiting for. Right. Not even like casting off this thing, but putting on I guess immortality, whatever that means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all right. Well, the second part, the second part of this. Uh, I'm article. tempted. I'm tempted to make I can only imagine joke, but I don't want to be a hater. Yeah. No, no. Especially with the Jesus Revolution overtaking the world. Uh, second part of our article: wherewith he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth until he return to judge all men at the last day. What do you make of that? Or what is the good news of the ascension of Jesus? Well, I think the key in the article is that statement where with that. I think what's underlining here, that connective word that Jesus who ascended into heaven, someone with a body with flesh bones and all things pertaining to a human nature. So that's the, that is the the person who ascended into heaven. That is the advance, you know, and I think how you differentiate and separate the significance of the resurrection from the ascension is actually kind of a tricky thing, right? I think Jesus's ascension is in some ways, the completion of the triumph that the resurrection represents. Um, and it's a, it's bringing something to the fore that's not present just in the resurrection, but it is in some ways a completion of that, which began, I suppose, in the resurrection. I know that the timing of that doesn't exactly work. Yeah. It, it doesn't, yeah, does you know, it, is it like a human has pierced the divine council? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's what Rowan Williams talks about. And he's just way out of my league. I can't really wrap my head around that. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, you could think, you know, the, the resurrection, the sign of the, of the resurrection perhaps is the empty tomb that death no longer has hold on human beings, right? That the curse of sin has been broken through the empty tomb. The ascension isn't so much like a new element to the story, but it unfolds the implications of what the resurrection represents. It's not just that human beings no longer die. It's that human beings are now part of the divine, piercing the council of what was the phrase you used? Piercing the council of the the divine council. The yeah. divine council. Yeah. Use the Old Testament language. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I think that's I mean that at the at the beginning of the article, I think that's what the that's what's being underlined is that it's a human being who is now part of the not the Godhead, obviously, but that is humankind is in that realm now. That's, you know, pretty well. So I don't think the article is really focusing in on this. I mean, it's definitely talking about there will be a day when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. But every Ascension Day, 
I'm asked by folks, I mean, what, what, why do we celebrate? I mean, it's, it's cool that he ascended, but I mean, just think about the way most Christians talk about Jesus's life. He, he suffered, he died, he was raised. And very rarely, unless you're <laughs> uh, saying the Eucharistic prayer, you say ascended and all these other things. And I think it's because of what you're, you were just saying, we don't really know what to make of it. But I do, what I do think is the good news of the ascension is that even Jesus in his resurrected state before he is ascended. Uh, sure, he just kind of shows up on the scene with disciples out of nowhere after he's resurrected, but there is this kind of notion that his self-limitation is forever set aside. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's omni-available again. I mean, as close, as much as we wish we could walk the earth with Jesus, just like the 12 disciples did, Jesus has limited himself, and he's He's available to you know, Peter, James, and John in a way that he's not with everyone. But with the ascension, he is once again omni-available to all of us. He is interceding for all of us at the right hand of the Father. I think it probably also puts a stamp on his work. His redemptive, uh, restorative work is done, and we're waiting for him to come again. And now the Holy Spirit is, Jesus' Spirit is doing his thing. Wait, yeah, what do you think? think of that yeah you, no i mean i yeah i think that's maybe that's just a way to <laughs> make a happy homily on ascension day but. yeah I, I, do, I do think i do think it's that and i've done that too <laughs> i mean i've done that too i think what's hard is for us how i think a lot of people i'm not even thinking so much of like people who have no contact with the church but even people who are like ostensibly christian would like really struggle to be able to honestly narrate how different their life is because of the ascension what is actually different about their lived experience because of the ascension, you know, because it's not, it doesn't feel objective. The presence of Jesus doesn't feel objective. Like even as objective as me talking to you over a computer screen, certainly not as objective as the chair that I'm looking at in my office. So it's easy to say, oh yeah, it's Jesus is not present to everyone. I think people could rightly be like, well, what does that mean? How? I can't feel him. I can't see him. I can't touch him. So it's, it's a, I mean, is that why the you know, Pentecostal movement has taken over the world? Yeah. Because yeah. by the power of the spirit, Jesus is being made present to people in tangible ways. Totally. No, I mean, I believe that, you know, I'm not. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I think my modus operandi is to not believe that or like not believe that's too strong, but I not live like as if not live like that. Also be, you know, in, in a healthy way, be a little skeptical, totally keep, keeping myself safe. Totally. I saw some of the things my mom went through, both bad and good. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, and the language in the, in the article that he, you know, sits, and this is from not in the article, but it's a very biblical idea that he sits at the right hand of the Father, mm-hmm. is this, I, you know, the theological term would be like the session, the heavenly session of Christ, that Jesus is now the kind of superintendent over world history and is working all things towards its glorious end. And that's a wonderful, again, theological truth to affirm and biblically to maintain, but in the crucible of suffering on an interpersonal level and on a social, like you can imagine people in Ukraine, right? Or in Ethiopia, like, okay, are you doing a good job? <laughs> you know, like, what are you, what, where's this going? And I, I think it's easy to say biblically or theologically like that. No, the, from the perspective of the New Testament, the ascension and the return, you know, God's time is not like our time. It's really one unbroken event. We are in the middle of the last things here. But it's hard to say that 
and not feel subject to their critique of like, well, you've been saying that for 2000 years, you know, like, what do you mean we're in the middle of the last things? Like, I think you're just asking me to kind of believe a bunch of BS, you know, I think when I put myself in the mind of someone approaching it with that level of suspicion, it's like, yeah, that, that is, that feels plausible. You know? yeah. So I think, I think that's why, like, I mean, speaking of Simeon Zoll, who is here right now uh, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, giving some sermons. I think what's really helpful about guys like him who are smart, they are rooted in classic Christianity. Uh, for me, they're more reformational. And yet they're also open to the supernatural work of Christ through the spirit that tangibly affects people that I, I don't know, a lot of people in my reformational tradition were, were very skeptical of that and, and for good reason, for bad reason. But yeah, and, and it's not a promise that things are always going to be in the up and up, right? We're called to carry our crosses, which right. I think more than like us actually picking them up, they will be foisted upon us. Uh, and yet um, you see, I mean, look in these black churches, look in these you know Pentecostal communities that are in a lot of countries in very poor areas. It's uh, It's been so life-giving to these people. And I think that can be as true for those of us in the affluent West. Uh, so here I am as someone who doesn't live it, essentially saying, man, thank God for Azusa Street. Thank God for my Pentecostal brothers and sisters who drive me crazy, but probably, I don't like this word, but challenge me in a good way. Yeah, yeah. And I think the spatial language is trips us up here like it does imagining Jesus's descent to the dead, right? Because it's not as if the trip narrated in like Luke 24 is describing this quite literal ascent. It's more like yeah, Jesus yeah, is in Ben Meyer's book on the Apostles' Creed called the Apostles' Creed. He he talks about this Aboriginal in Australia Aboriginal like depiction of the ascension, and it's not Jesus elevating up out of the sky. It's Jesus like almost descending into the the red earth. You know, like mm, out back. And his point is not this kind of like proto-pantheism, more just that Jesus is going, he's he's being removed from our sight with our physical eyes, but he's actually like being infused almost as it were, like throughout yeah, all creation. To us he's more ever. present to us than ever. So it's, it's, you know, it's like a rocket man. That's kind of the wrong idea. It's more like he's being removed from our physical sight, but he's actually everywhere like you would spray perfume. I'm sure that's a heresy somewhere, but that image that Jesus is now like diffused throughout creation and is present to all his people everywhere is in fact, very good news, but you have to kind of be taught, I suppose. Yeah. I, know, I think to... you got to experience it. It's yeah. 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 And when I say taught, I don't mean exactly yeah. like a classroom. I mean, like that door has to be kind of opened for you yeah. in such that you can savor it. But it's not the same thing as talking to someone face to face. Yeah. It's a different. I did. I did have an, uh, an experience one time of one of my good friends. He came up to me and was like, "Oh man, I can show you why your faith is wrong." And I hate to do this, but I mean, Jesus, the ascension, like he goes up to the clouds, he suffocates in space. Like, there's no way he's survived that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you call us Christians wooden thinkers. Totally. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure you know in. A, in other eras, that was more plausible, but I mean, it was probably visualized that way. But it's yeah, totally come on, totally. checkmate. We lost. <laughs> yeah, check checkmate atheists, checkmate Christians. That's good, man. Well, it feels weird to be talking about the resurrection ascension on uh, so early in Lent, but you for know, all of you who've already failed your Lenten disciplines, just look forward to to this. 
Amen. All right, man. So next week, speaking of the spirit, we'll hit article five of the Holy Ghost. Oh, snap. <laughs>